everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thanks for joining me for another inspiring and uplifting conversation. If you are listening for the first time, I want to welcome you. Hope you'll be coming back every week. You know, The Love Code is really an opportunity to be inspired, uplifted. It's an experience with my amazing guests to help us understand the unlimited possibilities that exist within all of us. So no matter what challenges we may be facing, whether it's with health or relationships or in job or just so many issues that uh, we're dealing with these days, there is a place within you that has the power to heal and transform and move you beyond whatever challenges you have. And that's really the goal of the show is to inspire you to that place of true power and possibilities that you have. And today we have another opportunity to be inspired. We're going to be navigating your life as an empath with my guest, Suzanne Worsley. So um, I think that term empath has been um, getting into the lexicon a lot. And we're hearing more and more about empaths and being empathic. But many of you may not know what that is, or many of you may discover that you actually have these abilities as an empath. So. We have a great show in store. Let me just share a little bit about Suzanne Worthy. She has been an energy healing practitioner, <clears throat> intuitive, and psychic empath for more than two decades. She teaches about consciousness studies and energy work and offers spiritual tours in Peru and Sedona, Arizona. She is the author of an energy healer's book of dying, and her latest book, is The Confident Empath, A Complete Guide to Multidimensional Empathing and Energetic Protection. So we have a great conversation in store for you today, and it's my pleasure to welcome Suzanne to the show. So Suzanne, it's so good having you here on The Love Code. Oh, I, I really appreciate it. I loved your intro. It just It was wonderful in terms of what we've got going on out there as opportunities as humans. It was great. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, I, I think this is something we have to be reminded of on a daily basis, right? The world, right? Uh, the world fills us with limitations and fear, but um, we're, you know, we have the capacity for amazing miracles and transformation. You know, I say I am, um, I'm actually six weeks into having a total hip replacement. And uh, it was a, due to an accident, to a fall. It wasn't planned. Life can change on a dime, right? Yep. And that's what yep. happened to me. And, uh, I, you know, so I chose to use this experience to just uh, give myself permission to totally rest and heal, uh, to shut my mind off, right, to just not have to deal with issues and in, in, in any of this and work work, nothing. I wasn't interested in anything. I just put myself into total downtime and uh, working with all the healing tools I had and seeing myself healed. And I just want to share with everyone that so here I am six weeks out and uh, ahead of the curve of the healing. I'm walking. I'm walking without any aids. You know, I gave up my crutch a week ago and I'm walking on my own and I hardly have, usually I was told it takes six months after total hip replacement to walk without a limp. And I'm walking without a limp, Suzanne. So um, (laughs) how do we do that? You know, how do we activate the body and hold that thought and not get depressed 
and not get fearful and not get caught in the, the you know fear and drama and support the body to heal and see that as an outcome. I saw that I was going to accelerate this healing process. So, right. um, so that's my little personal story today. That well, that's not a little story. That's a big one. And hips are you know hips are foundational. You know when we follow the energy process of the body and we know our chakra system and our auric fields, et cetera, we understand the mechanics of, yes, it just happened, but we also co-create our realities. And so there was a need from a higher perspective if you choose to, you know, believe in this and toss it if you don't. But there's a higher perspective at work to say, hey, come on, Dr. Cheryl, let's slow down and be a human now and let's just, you know, take it easy and look at our belief systems and receive and learn how to heal and believe in the magic and you know, it, it, oftentimes we get stopped in our tracks. No matter how great we are in these skills, we also get the rug pulled out for us to stop the madness sometimes and readjust and, and reevaluate and recalibrate. So this is ongoing, you know. I mean, this stuff isn't ever over in terms of the way that we heal and advance and height, heighten our frequency and our vibration. It's just, it is what it is. And so it can be awe-inspiring and amazing or it can be victimization and horrible and i love the way that you chose the first one yeah i i mean it was like having the rug pulled out from under me right mm -hmm. you know i always thought i was um strong and healthy and you know working out doing doing the gym thing taking good nutrition yep. and, but this was an accident it wasn't like the bones just collapsed on me it was it was an accident it was, I fell, and suddenly, you know, everything changed in my life. I needed support. I needed care, which showed up. The right person yep. showed up to help me, right? Yep. I had amazing resources show up. I had great care. So, um, yeah, I think we can um, choose to create experiences like this when we're suddenly thrown with a health crisis, Um to get fearful and feeling helpless, but these are the times we have to use all the tools we have, right? This is we have to call upon this uh, ability to create and support ourselves and get everything we need. We need to know that we have that power. And most humans are not so great at receiving. We're wonderful at doing, 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 and giving, giving, and especially if we're empathic in any matter, it's really difficult for us to put ourselves first, and sometimes these accidents give us that you know, opportunity to, yeah. to kind of look at things differently. So, yeah, it's always a learning lesson, right? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. So, 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 Suzanne, let's talk about you for a little bit. Um, you, you know, you have an interesting life. You're doing interesting work. Tell us a bit about your journey and what was it that got you um, to find your path and your work and your gift? Well, I uh, started out, and, and I write this in this particular book pretty pretty clearly throughout in terms of I started out very psychically connected and very, you know, connected to spirit and very intuitive and telepathic. And, you know, as we get to that middle school age, we start to realize nobody else is necessarily doing that or thinking that, so we sort of stuff it down. And everything came kind of like flooding back in my early 30s. And at that point, I'm now, you know, a corporate executive with four kids and doing everything under the sun and multitasking, et cetera, thinking this is normal. And then I had that little nagging voice inside all the time, like, 
you know, you got to maybe think there's more, slow down a little bit, you know, smell the roses kind of thing. And my psychic stuff came back like with a snap of the finger and it was terrifying actually. Um, It was overwhelming. I started being able to know things, empath things, see things, hear spirit, feel spirit. I mean, it was everywhere and it just, re-actual generated the memories of being a child where I was hearing things like, we'll activate you when it's time. Your mission will start when it's time. And all of those memories came flooding back. And some of us on this planet, I believe, are placed here to do whatever work we're placed here to do. And when it's time, it's time. And mine came very quickly. So I eased out of my corporate world and eased into the healing world because it was all new to me. I knew nothing about it. And as I studied, we sort of remember what we know in terms of our inner knowing, our inner guidance. And so the studying came very fast and furious and the remembrance came very quickly. And then I just basically decided to jump ship from the corporate world and dive into it full time. And then everything in my life went crazy. (laughs) Yeah, everything went crazy because my husband, my husband lost his job and we were sitting there with two mortgages, four kids staring at each other going, what have we done? There lies the true test of faith. So it all worked out, and now 20 years later, it's all good. <laughs> well, did, did you have an epiphany moment that brought that activation into your Yeah, I did. I awareness? did. Uh, yeah, it was uh, – my husband was walking out of the garage, and we have a little bit of yard in between the garage and the home, and I was walking out of the back door of the house, and I kind of verbally – belted out, oh my gosh, you have to fix your medicines because I can see inside your body and you're all dark and you're going to, you know, have this and this and this. And I and I was hearing myself saying, I can see inside your body. And I was realizing, oh my gosh, I can see inside his body. And all of my empathic abilities were immediately back and that I was merging with his body and feeling everything and knowing everything telepathically. And it just, it came that fast. And it was like, holy cow, what do you do with that? You know? And Again, 20 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of help or assistance, and there was no books on empathing back then. Now there are several different kinds, but boy, oh boy, I was empathing everything, and that's why I wrote the one I did, because I was not only empathing people, but land and spaces and spirit and, you know, uh, ghosts and you name it, it was coming to me. So it was like, it was warp speed training. I can only imagine, you know, you walk out the back door and, you feel like you know yourself and the next moment you're somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like connected to everything, you know, and I would assume if the, if the book resonated for you, you probably are empathic as well. And the empath feels everything. And it was so completely overwhelming. And I was already a stressed 3d human being with normal quote unquote real life stress, you know, being a mom and being a, traveling, you know, executive, et cetera. And then you added this on and I just didn't even know how to get my feet on the ground. So it was quite a journey. And I mean, it it was a lot self-learned, like I said. We're very fortunate in now, nowadays because we have podcasts and we have shows like yours and we have wonderful training programs and books and sharing. And, you know, we're even talking about off-planet things and UFOs. None of that was happening 20 years ago. So I was kind of swimming in the ocean by myself. So when that happened, what what occurred next? How, how did you navigate this new world that suddenly spontaneously opened up for you? Yeah, I was searching as desperately as possible. I did end up going to just a regular psychic for a reading, but I just wanted validation. I wasn't crazy. And 
then I started taking classes and then synchronicity and spirit always works as it should. And I started meeting people that were saying things like, well, no, you're, you should, you know, look into this or that because you're a healer and this is what you do. And I'm like, what? You know, cause this is all new. And so I started having these really synchronistic paths crossing and people popping up and et cetera, et cetera. And all the whole time I was devouring books like crazy. So I think what happens, like I said, is we ignite our inner knowing when it's time. And sometimes you have an event that pushes that and sometimes it just organically happens and sometimes we ignore the call and that's okay too because there's no right or wrong in any of this. But I definitely felt like the pieces were coming together fast and furiously. And then I just began to play and practice and play and play and practice. And I took it sort of seriously at first because it was so overwhelming. And I think play is important because when we make this all so, so serious, it gets scary sometimes and overwhelming because the unknown is the unknown. And I just kind of navigated by play. And that was my help my helpfulness. And I really downloaded mostly all from higher self, from guidance, from, you know, helpers, et cetera. And um, yeah, I trusted my own inner voice. What an amazing journey. It's like, you know, talk about life changing on a dime. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly had that experience. (laughs) Yeah, I have four kids and and two of the kids, two of the kids say mom number one and the other ones are the other mom, you know, the crazy mom. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So so let's talk about um, being an empath. That, that That is a term, that is a word that we're hearing a lot these days. It's probably in a good community of empaths now. Um, but yeah. how, how would you define how would you define someone who is empathic? What, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, the the reason why I really moved into this so deeply is because I can't tell you the amount of clients that come into my office and casually throw out, "I'm an empath. I'm an empath." And, it, you know, it's kind of got to be one of those kitschy phrases these days or a label that a lot of people like to, you know, jump on and, and use. And I was very concerned about the truth of being an empath without knowing how to do it skillfully or confidently. It can be very detrimental. And so we are beings that are designed to be empathic. We are designed with a birthright from our God source, whatever that God source looks like for you. Our body is a shard or a fractal of that that's designed for oneness to understand. I feel your pain. I can recognize that. I can walk in your shoes for a moment. I can, I can really get that because there's a oneness and that's a beautiful, awesome, wonderful quality. Empathing is something different. We don't just stand in their shoes. We take their shoes and we steal them and we run away with them and we own them. And we don't, we, we take their sickness, we take their pain, we take their actual physical, emotional, mental attributes, and we take them on as our own. And this is a detriment not only to my energy field, but it's also a robbing and a disservice to the person who I took from. And it is an ongoing pattern because when we're moving in organic energy between two vessels or vehicles, we need another hit and another hit. And this is why we come up with the word vampiring because we need it again and again and again and again because it isn't organic to my frequency. And so true empathing is really a difficult energy transference and it is done in fear versus organic empath 
uh, empath. I, I, I mean, I, I have empathy, sorry. When I have empathy, I'm working in love. I'm showing love, but I don't hold it. I don't take it. Does that make some sense to you, that there's a really distinct difference? Um, it, it does make sense because I have known empaths who get really confused because they can take on the pains and aches and emotions of people they're interacting with, not necessarily in a professional setting, but just yep. people they encounter, and, and often can't really distinguish what's theirs and what's the other person's and what to do about it. Exactly. And and yet it's funny because a lot of people will wear it, like I said, as kind of this badge of like, oh, well, that's the reason why I'm such a mess. They'll say, quote, unquote, I'm such a mess because I'm an empath. And it's like, well, goodness, if you learn how to move your energy, A, you know, you, you navigate life completely different and, and you don't feel like a mess. But we are really sabotaging our energy fields when we're not moving the energy in an authentic way. So empathing is a beautiful skill that is very psychically related to connection of oneness. And I love being an empath. I totally do. But I am very conscious of it, very skilled at it, very discerning 24-7. I work that skill set so that I am very tenacious about clearing my field and holding my own, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I love the fact that I can walk through a space and know something. I love the fact that I can touch an object and get a download. I love the fact that I can walk by something or someone and know the story, but I also don't do it without integrity, right? Right. I mean, that obviously is a big part of it because when you know when you know so much about someone or something, it may not be appropriate. Right. Exactly. And yeah, and it's and it's knowing your lines of boundaries. It's knowing what is appropriate, what is honorable, um, etc. I mean, it's it's a really whole different world when you open open up to the fact that you've got all of this information flooding through. So, I think writing this book was very important also because, yes, there's a lot of empath books. Yes, there's a lot of, um, you know, vampiring books, vampiring energy books, and on and on. The thing that was really important for me because I am one is this multidimensional component because it isn't just people. This is land. This is spaces. This is I can't really walk down the, you know, the aisle in the grocery store that has all the chemicals without, like, impacting my body. Um, you know, it's being in an antique store. It's, it's maybe I'm at a party and, and it is a person. Um, maybe it's a home that is really, you know, tainted and toxic from relationships that are stuck in there in an energy template and on and on and on this stuff goes. And so this multidimensional component was very important for me to share because it's, it's really critical we kind of expand our minds on this idea and really go beyond just people. But people is a huge piece of it. So I would imagine when you're so open and you so have this ability to tune into energies and energy fields, um, I mean, there's no end to <laughs> the potential of experiences because, as you were saying, there's an energy field in a home. Is an energy field, an object, and when you have the ability to to tune in, you can pick up the imprint of that energy field. That, you know, that's mm-hmm. psychometry, right? You can take someone's mm-hmm. ring, and you can get information because there's an energy, and it, 
field that has been attached, and I guess maybe that's, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, imprinted into that object from that person, yep. from that person's experience. Yep, exactly. And like you said, it's endless, but it's always going in my situation. It's always going on the back burner. It's always on, on the subconscious. I don't walk around heightened 24 seven or I would lose my mind in terms of like navigating yeah. the world, but because it's on as a ongoing back burner skill set, the second I walk through something or drive through something, it's like, boom, oh, is that, and the very first discernment process is, is that mine? Is that mine? And I need to be able to know how to discern with my auric field. That's what the book teaches extensively is work that auric field, work that bubble so that when you do have the opportunity to know a different frequency, immediately you start the process of questioning, is that mine? Is that mine now? Is that mine or not mine at all? If that's not mine, what is it? Whose is it? And on and on it goes. So we can change what's happening immediately by just keeping it on that back burner and being aware. But we're not walking through life like critically on pins and needles, whereas the empath that is not trained is actually doing the opposite. They're walking through life sucking up everything like a sponge and exhausted by doing it. Okay, so two two trains of thought here. So for those listening who may have these sensitivities and relate to what you're talking about, who can pick things up from people, pick up mm-hmm. either physical physical sensations or thoughts, emotions. What what do you say to those people? It sounds like what you know out of your experience, people who recognize they have this ability this gift, this sensitivity, need to know how to, in a sense, manage that that gift. I'm going to make it a really common thing. Yeah, a really common denominator in my practice with empaths, and and I'm not saying they're all female, but, you know, mostly females are, my percentage is, you know, 80% female, maybe 20% men. So a lot of the females are very groomed in life that everybody comes first. You know, a lot of us still have a really tough word with, you know, time with the word selfish. A lot of us think I have to do this. I can't do this. I should do this. All of those words are indicators of the empath. I have to go over here. I can't do this. I should go over here first. And so we put ourselves last and then gosh forbid we become partners and mothers, et cetera, and workers. And then we really put ourselves last. And so the exhaustion level of me going, 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 doing, 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 doing becomes the human doing machine, which then validates my existence. It validates I'm wonderful. It validates I'm fabulous in an outward way. And I was in class act at this. I was the only reason why I really get to write this because I was really great at it. I thought I was wonderful when I was corporate because I was doing everything and, you know, caught myself in the mirror one time bouncing a baby, trying to do laundry, had a phone in my ear negotiating a contract while I was kicking the dog with my foot. I mean, I literally caught myself in the mirror and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is the craziness of the life that I was leading, trying to be everything for everyone and thought I was doing well at it. And I wasn't. There was a huge um, disconnect on this validation of the doing machine. And sadly, society and family and everybody, you know, 
supports that. Oh my gosh, you're wonderful. You can't, I can't believe how much you do. And then we believe our story and I was exhausted, but God forbid I would let anybody help me because I could do whatever it was faster and better anyway. So I would just stay in this cycle. And this is what a lot of the women are doing in terms of raising the kids, run into the apartments, taking care of the parents. You know, we're caught in these roles and we are never taking time to put ourselves first because gosh forbid that's selfish. So our tank, our energy field is depleted. And when our energy field is depleted, I write in the book that we are akin to being a vehicle of source. We're like a vehicle, and a vehicle needs gasoline, which is our connection to source, which is consciousness. Our consciousness comes in just like gas goes into a car, and it runs our parts. And our auric field is akin to our gas tank. So we can have a great vehicle with gas coming in, but, boy, if I don't have a tank, I'm going to have it all over the ground before I leave the station, and I can't figure out why I'm chugging down the highway exhausted. So this is how it starts in the human auric field and body, energy body. We lose our fuel. And if I don't have any fuel, I'm going to go find fuel. So now I'm going to find it by helping somebody, worrying about somebody. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. I'm going to take on all your pain and your worry and your sadness. And we think we're helping, but we're actually depleting, and we're depleting both fields. Does that make some sense that we think we're helping, but it's actually a depletion? Yeah, I mean, it falls into that term called codependence. Like we get our strokes. We feel loved. We feel worthy when yep. we can take care of others, right? We are always concerned about others first, first and foremost, and we, other than ourselves. And we can. We can take care of others. The book says definitely take care of others, but do it in the fuel mm-hmm. of love fuel versus Fear fuel. So fear fuel is a different component. That's I have to do this. A love component is, no, 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 I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to do this. So when we choose and we know we're really choosing, we don't hold resentment. We don't have frustration. We don't harbor anger. All of the things that are stuffed deep inside our bodies when we're working on that fear fuel is then what diseases and eventually diseases our body. So, you know, as you're talking, it's like anyone who has a talent, right, whether it's a talent for music, it it has to be cultivated. You have to be trained to bring forth the true potential of that talent. And it seems, as you're talking, it's the same with people who have this this gift of empathy, have the sensitivity that can pick up all these different frequencies and energy fields um, to make the most of this gift. People really yep. need to have some training, right? And it, and it you're, exactly, exactly. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, or, or else the talent never gets fully realized. And and we and it's a lose lose situation because we think we're helping someone, but when we budge into their field, it truly is an underlying statement energetically of. I think I can do this better than you, or I, I can fix you, or I can make you feel better, versus allowing that person to have whatever journey they're having. For example, if I've got a friend or a family member who's very sick, and I'm all concerned about them, and I worry about them constantly, I'm putting into that collective messaging, oh, this is bad, this is awful, I'm so scared, versus allowing that person's soul journey to hold that experience, and I do that without any judgment, without any conditions, 
I allow myself to still support them, but I don't, you know, I don't budge into the journey. I'm there, but I'm doing it with a almost observer mode. It's, it's a completely different way of holding the energy because I honor the fact that that person is struggling. Most empaths want to fix everything because underneath energetically, it's them that's uncomfortable around the struggling person. That's right. a big deal. Right. Does that make sense? Because that's a big twist because people don't believe that until they really think it through. If you're hurting and you're in pain, I want to make it all better for you. Well, the reason why I want to make it better for you is because I'm feeling all your pain. <laughs> Do you see? Oh, absolutely. So then part of the journey is probably incorporated in what you're teaching is helping people to understand their own wounds that get activated yep. in the presence of pain, you know, and people in their life or in the world. And honor the fact that everyone has a soul contract. Everyone has a soul journey. They have their own book of life, their own script. They're here co-creating things that are really important to their higher version of themselves. And who am I to get in the way of that, right? But oftentimes we want to get in the way of that because we want to fix it. And so it's very yeah. egoic. And once we start to drop our ego with a lot of this stuff, we start to step back and we start to actually do more loving support with no conditions attached. And then both fields are actually being fueled in love. So it, it is a process. It is a training and it is a skill, but it is, it is easy once you get it, get the mechanism. So can we kind of go back to basics and when we mm -hmm. talk about people who are empaths, can can we maybe just um, define some of the experiences, how people can determine if they actually have this ability, who may never have sure. thought about it before? What, what, sure. Yeah, what are some of the, the, the indications that you may be empathic? Yeah, there's, uh, when I write the book, there's three general, there's three different versions. The general empath is almost every single solitary person on this planet because again, our bodies are designed to feel and our bodies are designed to merge with one another in, in terms of energy. So the general empath will be able to feel things and experience things in the world or with other people in almost any situation, but they're not highly sensitive to it. They're not aware of it. So therefore it passes through their field fairly easily and fairly quickly. They don't hang on to it. So that's kind of generally speaking. Number two is really feels more like the sensitive empath. These are the ones that end up in my office mostly. Oh my goodness, I feel everybody's pain. Everybody tells me their problems. I can't even go to the grocery store without someone, you know, pulling <laughs> me aside in, in the, you know, in the produce section and telling me their whole life. I mean, those are the kinds of people that really, really start to get exhausted. These are the ones that feel everyone's pain. These are the ones that know that they're, you know, making lists and lists and lists and running, running, trying, trying, and never having enough time to even have a moment to themselves or slow down because they're the doing machines. These people have hidden resentments. So one of the first things is to get seriously quiet with yourself and be honest and say, I am harboring stuff. I am harboring the fact that no one cares about me or no one helps me because I'm always helping everyone. So that's a hard one to get to. These people feel weird in places. They can get overextended with sounds and lights and crowds, etc. They can be affected in places like antique stores and more. So these are really those highly sensitive people. And oftentimes we get like just completely overwhelmed. 
The third category takes that sensitive to another level, which introduces those multidimensional fields of now, holy cow, I can be in that, you know, that antique store. And like you said, psychometry, I can pick up that ring and not only do I feel energy on the ring, but I know the whole story. I now can feel the ghost in here. I now can feel a timeline that's, you know, embedded in this place or this space. And so the psychicness takes it to a completely higher level. And oftentimes that number two category of a sensitive will grow into a psychic sensitive if they are doing spiritual journey work to activate their centers. And a lot of times a psychic sensitive has shut down their psychic capabilities as a child or a mid-age, you know, uh, middle schooler because someone told them that was evil or scary, and that'll be bouncing around inside of them too. So those two can overlap quite often. That's so interesting. I remember in my training as a uh, as a therapist, um, it was a model that um, if a child had a trauma, some abuse, something that happened that was very traumatic, um, mm-hmm. they developed the ability to leave their bodies and hover above their bodies. So they just became so disconnected from what was happening in that present time situation of the trauma or the abuse that they God, they left their bodies, literally, and hovered above yep. it. And then that became an ability, a psychic ability that protected them from dealing with the trauma at the time, but then can be developed into a gift. It, but it also requires healing the trauma that got them to have that ability to leave their body. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, because in this book, I actually tell my story because when I was six years old, I had a a blood disease that was no one could figure out what what was wrong with me. I was fine one day, and then I was deathly ill the next day, and this went on for almost an entire year. And I I flew out of my body all the time, not to necessarily protect myself from the trauma, but I was able to astral travel and connect with spirit all the time, and I could – sit in that little room where they were taking my blood with the doctor and I could astrally go out and hear the nurses in the lobby talking about this poor little girl that's maybe going to die. And I would think, oh my gosh, someone's going to die. That's kind of sad. And then I would realize that that was my etheric body listening to them talking about me. And I did that all the time. That was a natural thing for me to do at six. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. So, so that's why, that's why as you're talking about these different categories of empath, for some people to really blossom that gift, they have to heal the trauma that, yep. uh, that they carry that led and, and to life- expanding the sensitivity. Yeah. And that's a lifelong lesson anyway, right? I mean, we embed our traumas all mm-hmm. the time and we change our belief systems all the time. So the very first chapter in the book is really shedding what you've been taught because our belief systems are foundational in what we feel about ourselves and how we present ourselves in life and how we actually take in our reality. So belief systems, you know, that I have to do this, I have to do that, or I can't do this and I should do that. Those are really tough and, and go into your own, you know, childhood structure your foundation of who you are and you'll find a lot of that stuff you know that from your work I mean that's what we do we're human beings are crazy computers you know we never let go of anything but an empath has the ability to do such phenomenal work on not only behalf of their own soul journey and their own human journey 
But the collective journey, when we feel everything and we learn how to send it through our body so that we're a messenger on behalf of source, and that's what I teach in the second half of the book is to be able to understand we're gifted to be able to feel things others can't. And if we feel it and we really feel it and then we move it through back to source energy, whatever you think God is, in my opinion, lots of times it's the biggest library of all, then we can have the pain, the angst, the horror, the the joy, the wonder in that so-called library so that the next incarnations that are coming in have that information and we change our world. This is how we change our world. If we show what it really feels like to be a parent that has loss or cancer or really feel what that ocean feels like when we pollute it, and we send that back to source, that next incarnate comes in and goes, holy cow, I'm that scientist that now, you know, fixes pollution, or holy cow, I'm that one that saves, you know, this lineage, or whatever. We change our world, and that's that's what this is about. And that's so profound, because if we can, and we all have these abilities, we develop them in whatever way, we realize we're we're connected to everything and everyone. And mm-hmm. this is the big journey for, for humans is to understand we are connected to everything. Yeah. There's part of this oneness. And if we can really experience that, there's such true empathy, right? True empathy because everything is part of us, which is such exactly. a huge concept. But it's a truth. It's It's the greatest truth there is. And if we can move more people into having empathy for each other, we, we can then begin to transform the world, this dimension. And not just even, not even just people. I mean, think about it. I mean, my actual literal gut will twist and hurt when I see people just slaughtering trees in our neighborhood just because they want to build a bigger house, you know. Now, I'm not saying that you never should cut a tree down, but it's the way that we cut the tree down. I mean, I... The true story, I ran over in the middle of the night. They took 38 trees down on a lot adjacent to our home one time. Just came in and mowed them all down in one day. And you could palpably feel the pain. And my daughter, who's very psychic, and I went over that night, and we did a wonderful prayer ritual for the trees. And I helped them take their consciousness, their deva, their actual energy field. And I said, I'll store it in my trees, put it all in my trees. Like you can just move the file over to my trees so that you're not hurting because it was so painful because no one asked. I mean, I ask my trees before I trim them. I thank them. I go out and I work with my trees when the storms are coming. I thank my home. I Everything is a consciousness body that we're existing in. And we don't think that way until we start to understand the feel that I feel when I'm around that thing. And so it's important for us to expand our knowledge in this area. This is totally my opinion, of course. So, Well, I, I, I relate to that. I, you know, I, I, the more you study um, the intelligence of life, of all of life, mm-hmm. whether it's trees, whether it's plants, whether it's animals, you know, whether it's um, aphids, <laughs> ants, are pretty amazing. I, I was right? watching a program about ants, and they were studying these two colonies. And one colony, I don't know how they did this, but one colony of ants, when an ant from a, a different colony would come into their colony, they would welcome them. 
they would work on cooperation and they studied another colony that wasn't that far away and that colony would attack any strange huh. ant that wandered in. It's just ant colonies, the whole different frequency of how they experience their reality. And the one that was cooperative thrived. Now that's a message okay. for all of us, isn't it? I'm going to throw out a really bizarre thought, if you don't mind on that. What if? Let's do because it. Because I, <laughs> right? I mean, my head just went bonkers with this for a second. Because I'm like, why? Why? Right? Why? I always ask why. What if the actual colony of the ants that was violent was existing in a holographic logos or blueprint of violence that was embedded and inserted into the land from something that actually had physically happened in another timeline? versus the other one was not, that would alter their consciousness to become violent and resonate with the violence. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Oh, totally. Be oh, totally. Because I do, I do so much holographic clearing work that I have had homes where I absolutely 100% go into the field, the logos, the blueprint of the land in another time space continuum, and I can see holographically that there was like a shed where someone was beat and that is no longer obviously on that land parcel because there's a, you know, 1960s home built there, but that holographic horror trauma, just like you said, embedded in the person, it's also embedded in the land that is existent until a quantum worker can remove that. So wouldn't that be fascinating to think that that would have to do with the, the difference in how the ants reacted? Like if you cleared oh, that hologram, Yes. Right? If you yes. clear the yes. hologram, yes. <laughs> what if the ants changed? I mean, yes. that's so cool to think about. So, so, Suzanne, so let's talk about this for a minute. So, if there, you know, there's so many battlefields, right? There's so many places yep. where there has been a violence um, in the world, you know. Yep. Does, does that energy stay there? Uh, that energy of that event in that place or is there a absolutely. way that, that energy absolutely. can be dissipated and cleared? It only is cleared if somebody clears it. It is absolutely in the land. And I write in the book the very first time when I was in the Bastille, I didn't know my skill set. All I knew is my neck was killing me and I didn't know why my neck was killing me and this is where everyone got their heads <laughs> removed. You know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, now I will go, we live in Minnesota and there is a, a really sad um actual uh, walk that they did with the Native Americans and brought them to a place where a lot of them were, you know, paraded in a horrible, horrible, tragic way and then eventually killed. And I have gone in and done massive amounts of clearing. And I mean, to the extent of clearing an entire town, because this energy grid system is so sad and it is so, and it affects not only the people, but the actual economic development of the town. And I mean, homes will be for sale. There was like seven homes for sale on this one particular street where this happened. And I went in and I cleared the whole entire street and the whole downtown. And, you know, literally every house on the block was sold within a month. Now I'm not taking credit for, you know, real estate sales. It's just, it's just energy. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just energy. So it's very interesting to me. You can clear multitudes of land. I mean, people like me, we had the 35W bridge collapse in Minnesota years ago, and I I went, I was one of the workers that went down and cleared the bridge. Because the bridge gets rebuilt, but the scared isn't gone, you know? So, yeah, absolutely stays in the grid. 
for sure. So how how can you um, inspire people at this point in time? We're you know we're dealing in an incredibly fearful time in the world, and where people feel so helpless, and it's happening everywhere. I mean, you know, the Amazon. I know you've been to Peru, and I've been to Peru, but the Amazon is. I just read yesterday is at the lowest level that it's been in 121 years. You're right. Yeah. So, um, what what's what's your what are your words of wisdom to people at this point in time? Well, I, I think truly being an empath is is such a gift, and it can be a curse if we don't work with it. So anybody, anybody, period, I, I'm giving the advice to, but I'm going to double up for an empath. When we feel scared, it is important for us, if we choose, obviously, um, to go into our own container and to clean out any residue, any residual trauma, any fear, any belief system, anything that is fear-based so that I am working in a higher loving vibration. Because like finds like. We live in a universe that is filled with universal laws, and one of them is law of attraction or like finds like or cause and effect. All those things will happen constantly. So be aware of what you're existing in because you're co-creating that constantly. What you really, really want, you're creating. What you really, really don't want, you are still creating. So when I look at the news and I get scared and, oh, my gosh, now this could happen and that could happen and, oh, my goodness, what if this happens? All you're doing is throwing into the grids more potentials to have the timeline move that way. I'm an individual that's not doing myself any service by being that scared, and I'm also pouring that into the collective field for everyone. So the empath has the potential to go, okay, I'm going to stop, I'm going to feel all this, and then I'm going to send that horror back to source so that we can stop the madness of how we treat one another on this planet. And then I do more work. I go out. I find my own fuel that makes me happy, that makes me joyful, that makes me thrilled to be on this planet, and I fill and I fill and I fill. It's my job to fill my tank in that. The empath is trained, that isn't trained is stealing it from everyone else. The empath that's trained goes and finds that fuel for themselves and is tenacious about keeping that tank full. Well, that's very, that's so profound, right? That's really so profound. And, um, yeah. And it's easy. It's easier than we think. And everyone's like, yeah, but how do I do it? How do I do it? And this is the fun part. Do it any way you want to because quotient in the field. Uh, we had a bit of a glitch, so I've lost you for a few minutes, <laughs> Suzanne. Oh. But, um, I, it's okay. We're back. So it's, it's kind of just go over that again so we can capture yeah. what we missed. So uh, what I was saying is – we're good. That's okay. So what I was saying is it's our personal responsibility to fill our own tank with our own joy and awe and wonder. And when we fill our own tank with joy, awe, and wonder, instead of stealing it from somebody else by helping them or fixing them – I'm actually having divine love fuel in my tank, and I'm healthier and I'm happier. But what's even more important is that I'm changing the quotient in the collective. When I'm a really diligent, empathic worker, I'm consciously changing the quotient in the field in the collective because our collective field is programmed all day long to be scary. Our TV says be scared. Our news says be scared. The actual empath that's doing the work goes in and scrambles that all up by putting in joy putting in wonder, putting in magic, putting in awe, and consciously putting into the collective field all the beauty and wonder of being on this planet. It scrambles the field and changes the quotient. 
Well, you know, uh, I, I think that um, that's so profound. First of all, we need to re remember that if we're watching the news and getting caught up in the fear hysteria that's going on, we're generating yep. that field. And uh, yeah. our job really is to transform, to recognize that, transform that experience and focus more on bringing more love and joy and healing and peace and gratitude and compassion into the world. And that fills a, that field. That's how we transform. Exactly. And, and, and there's, we, there are people now, there are people, I was just going to say there are people now yep. doing these collective meditations of bringing more peace and joy into areas of conflict. And there's mm -hmm. been great success when people have done mm -hmm. that in the past, right? Yeah, because we're creating the timeline. You know, everyone seems to forget that we're the co-creators with Source. I mean, we're the ones that are driving the timeline. So, you know, it's sort of like the story I used to tell um, when I taught a lot. I have um, these kids, and my oldest would go up to college inevitably in the middle you know, 11 o'clock at night in the middle of a snowstorm and drive for four hours and everyone would be going, aren't you nervous? Aren't you scared? And I'm like, no, why would I be, why would I put that into the potential? Why would I put in nervous or scared? I just put in he's fine. And so if he's not fine, then that's his higher version of his journey. But I will never put that into the field. I won't do that. I'll put in what I want to see, not what I don't want to see. Right. I gotcha. Yeah, this is such, it's about responsibility of how we choose to create. And yeah. um, if we're dealing with worry and fear, we're just harming our own nervous system as well as that of the planet, right? Exactly. And the whole thing, right? <laughs> right. So tell us about your programs and what you're offering and, and how to get your book. Well, um, my book's everywhere and anywhere, so, um, you know, you can just grab it on my own site. So my site is my name, so it's S-W-O-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com, so it's S-Worthley.com. Both of my books are on there. My first book was launched in COVID, which was kind of difficult because it was a book on death and dying, but it's a phenomenal book. <laughs> it's a phenomenal book for death and dying. I thought it was perfectly appropriate, but um, it's a wonderful book in terms of how the energy body actually shuts down and it can make the death experience absolutely phenomenal and, and wonderful. So that's on there as well. Um, everything is on there as far as any of the work that I do. I do personal sessions, land, remote, in-person, animals, people, couples, you name it, I do it all, paranormal. Um, yeah, and then I have a Vibe Tribe, which is my online community. They can check that out on my website. But even our most fun thing we started about three months ago is our podcast called Energy Unleashed, and it is my co-host Kim Hess and I, and we talk about actual energy sessions that I have of my clients, and then we sort of unleash it so everyone can learn from them, and that's on YouTube as well as some other training videos. Well, you're doing such amazing work in the world and being able to um, assist people. So when you, when you assist people, you're assisting people who – um, who come to you who have some of these sensitivities already and need some guidance, but do you also work with people who have health challenges or issues, or who, who else can benefit from your services? Oh, most, most totally, because everything is energy. So when your energy is diseased, when your energy is not moving, like, again, my car parts don't have a good, you know, gas going through them, 
that's when our parts start to dis-ease and our body starts to shut down. So I do a lot of death work. I do a lot of doula work. I do actual healing just for anything and everything. So emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual, it's all of the above. So, And I ended up doing tons of remote work during the COVID years. So, you know, that's a really super easy thing because I'm a full telepath. So even if you're in my physical presence, I don't touch you in any way. You're all the way across my room and I don't touch you. So it doesn't matter if you're across the country or the globe. <laughs> So it's pretty pretty easy well, for me to go work. <laughs> well, you have a very interesting life, Suzanne. <laughs> I have to say, and and you know how inspiring to have this conversation to um, to recognize that everything is energy and how to be responsible, how we can use the gifts. If people listening are empaths or recognizing that they are an empath. Now you've got yeah. um, some guidance how to develop that ability and use it for the highest good for yourself and others. Yeah, and the appendix has all of the to-do list. Those people that want things, how do I do it, how do I do it, the appendixes are full of meditations and to-dos, and these are the rocks, these are the poses, this is the oils. I mean, every to-do list is in there, so you don't even have to really think. So that's helpful also. Well, uh, this has been a, such a fascinating conversation. You're an amazing woman. You have, you're blessed to have these incredible gifts and, and ways that you're serving the planet. Thank you. you know, it's all of, all of life, right? All of Thank life. you. So thanks for, thanks for talking. Yeah, that, sorry. I was still yeah. laughing about the ants. I'm still laughing about the ants. I can't stand it. That was the best part of the conversation. <laughs> I just, I, 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 I think about that all the time, those two colonies of ants. What's going on there? <laughs> oh, my God. It's a message for humanity. Hey, we need to clear that energy field for more. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been so much fun, and uh, you're so inspiring. I just wish you all the best in everything you're doing for all of us. Thank you. For all of us. Thank you. Thank you, you're and so thank, you, thank your listeners. Show. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. And thank, and thank you all who are listening now. And again, come back, join me every week. Uh, this podcast is found everywhere. You can uh, go to any podcast portal, Podbean, Spotify, Apple, it's all there. Come and join these conversations. And until um, next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. <laughs>